Book 18, Chapters 3 and 4 of The Antiquities of the Jews, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Antiquities of the Jews, Volume 4, by Flavius Josephus. Translated by William Whiston. Book 18, Chapters 3 and 4. Chapter 3. Sedition of the Jews against Pontius Pilate concerning Christ, and what befell Paulina and the Jews at Rome. But now Pilate, the procurator of Judea, removed the army from Caesarea to Jerusalem to take their winter quarters there, in order to abolish the Jewish laws. So he introduced Caesar's effigies, which were upon the ensigns, and brought them into the city, whereas our law forbids us the very making of images, on which account the former procurators were wont to make their entry into the city with such ensigns as had not those ornaments. Pilate was the first who brought those images to Jerusalem, and set them up there, which was done without the knowledge of the people, because it was done in the night-time. But as soon as they knew it, they came in multitudes to Caesarea, and interceded with Pilate many days that he should remove the images." and when he would not grant their requests, because it would tend to the injury of Caesar, while yet they persevered in their request, on the sixth day he ordered his soldiers to have their weapons privately, while he came and sat upon his judgment-seat, which seat was so prepared in the open place of the city, that it concealed the army that lay ready to oppress them. And when the Jews petitioned him again, he gave a signal to the soldiers to encompass them round, and threatened that their punishment should be no less than immediate death, unless they would leave off disturbing him, and go their ways home. But they threw themselves upon the ground, and laid their necks bare, and said they would take their death very willingly, rather than the wisdom of their laws should be transgressed. Upon which Pilate was deeply affected with their firm resolution to keep their laws inviolable, and presently commanded the images to be carried back from Jerusalem to Caesarea. But Pilate undertook to bring a current of water to Jerusalem, and did it with the sacred money, and derived the origin of the stream from the distance of two hundred furlongs. However, the Jews were not pleased with what had been done about this water, and many ten thousands of the people got together, and made a clamor against him, and insisted that he should leave off that design. Some of them also used reproaches, and abused the man, as crowds of such people usually do. So he habited a great number of his soldiers in their habit, who carried daggers under their garments, and sent them to a place where they might surround them. So he bid the Jews himself go away, but they boldly casting reproaches upon him, he gave the soldiers that signal which had been beforehand agreed on, who laid upon them much greater blows than Pilate had commanded them, and equally punished those that were tumultuous, and those that were not. Nor did they spare them in the least. And since the people were unarmed, and were caught by men prepared for what they were about, there were a great number of them slain by this means, and others of them ran away wounded. And thus an end was made to this sedition. Now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man. For he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as receive the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. 
and when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men amongst us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at the first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive again the third day, as the divine prophets had foretold these and ten thousand other wonderful things concerning him. And the tribe of Christians, so named from him, are not extinct at this day. About the same time also another sad calamity put the Jews into disorder, and certain shameful practices happened about the temple of Isis that was in Rome. I will now first take notice of the wicked attempt about the temple of Isis, and will then give an account of the Jewish affairs. There was at Rome a woman whose name was Paulina, one who, on account of the dignity of her ancestors, and by the regular conduct of a virtuous life, had a great reputation. She was also very rich, and although she was of a beautiful countenance, and in that flower of her age wherein women are the most gay, yet did she lead a life of great modesty. She was married to Saturninus, one that was in every way answerable to her in an excellent character. Decius Mendus fell in love with this woman, who was a man very high in the equestrian order, and as she was of too great dignity to be caught by presents, and had already rejected them, though they had been sent in great abundance, he was still more inflamed with love to her, insomuch that he promised to give her two hundred thousand attic drachmae for one night's lodging. And when this would not prevail upon her, and he was not able to bear this misfortune in his amours, he thought it the best way to famish himself to death for want of food on account of Paulina's sad refusal, and he determined with himself to die after such a manner, and he went on with his purpose accordingly. Now Mundus had a freedwoman who had been made free by his father, whose name was Ide, one skilful in all sorts of mischief. This woman was very much grieved at the young man's resolution to kill himself, for he did not conceal his intentions to destroy himself from others, and came to him and encouraged him by her discourse, and made him to hope, by some promises she gave him, that he might obtain a night's lodging with Paulina. And when he joyfully hearkened to her entreaty, she said she wanted no more than fifty thousand drachmae for the entrapping of the woman. So when she had encouraged the young man, and gotten as much money as she required, she did not take the same methods as had been taken before, because she perceived that the woman was by no means to be tempted by money. But as she knew that she was very much given to the worship of the goddess Isis, she devised the following stratagem. She went to some of Isis's priests, and upon the strongest assurances of concealment, she persuaded them by words, but chiefly by the offer of money, of twenty-five thousand drachmae in hand, and as much more when the thing had taken effect, and told them the passion of the young man, and persuaded them to use all means possible to beguile the woman. So they were drawn in to promise so to do, by that large sum of gold they were to have. Accordingly, the oldest of them went immediately to Paulina, and upon his admittance he desired to speak with her by herself. When that was granted him, he told her that he was sent by the god Anubis, who was fallen in love with her, and enjoined her to come to him. Upon this she took the message very kindly, and valued herself greatly upon this condescension of Anubis, and told her husband that she had a message sent her, and was to sup and lie with Anubis. 
so he agreed to her acceptance of the offer as fully satisfied with the chastity of his wife accordingly she went to the temple and after she had supped there and it was the hour to go to sleep the priest shut the doors of the temple when in the holy part of it the lights were also put out then did mundus leap out for he was hidden therein and did not fail of enjoying her who was at his service all the night long as supposing he was the god and when he was gone away which was before those priests who knew nothing of this stratagem were stirring paulina came early to her husband and told him how the god anubis had appeared to her among her friends also she declared how great a value she put upon this favour who partly disbelieved the thing when they reflected on its nature and partly were amazed at it as having no pretence for not believing it when they considered the modesty and the dignity of the person but now on the third day after what had been done mundus met paulina and said nay paulina thou hast saved me two hundred thousand drachmae which some thou citest have added to thy own family yet hast thou not failed to be at my service in the manner i invited thee as for the reproaches thou hast laid upon mundus i value not the business of names but i rejoice in the pleasure i reaped by what i did while i took to myself the name of anubis when he had said this he went his way but now she began to come to the sense of the grossness of what she had done and rent her garments and told her husband of the horrid nature of this wicked contrivance and prayed him not to neglect to assist her in this case so he discovered the fact to the emperor whereupon tiberius inquired into the matter thoroughly by examining the priests about it and ordered them to be crucified as well as Ide, who was the occasion of their perdition and who had contrived the whole matter which was so injurious to the woman he also demolished the temple of isis and gave order that her statue should be thrown into the river tiber while he only banished mundus but did no more to him because he supposed that what crime he had committed was done out of the passion of love and these were the circumstances which concerned the temple of isis and the injuries occasioned by her priests I now return to the relation of what happened about this time to the Jews at Rome, as I formerly told you I would. There was a man who was a Jew, but had been driven away from his own country by an accusation laid against him for transgressing their laws, and by the fear he was under of punishment for the same, but in all respects a wicked man. He, then living at Rome, professed to instruct men in the wisdom of the laws of Moses he procured also three other men entirely of the same character with himself to be his partners these men persuaded fulvia a woman of great dignity and one that had embraced the jewish religion to send purple and gold to the temple at jerusalem and when they had gotten them they employed them for their own uses and spent the money themselves on which account it was that they at first required it of her whereupon tiberius who had been informed of the thing by saturninus the husband of fulvia who desired inquiry might be made about it ordered all the jews to be banished out of rome at which time the consuls listed four thousand men out of them and sent them to the island sardinia but punished a greater number of them who were unwilling to become soldiers on account of keeping the laws of their forefathers Thus were these Jews banished out of the city by the wickedness of four men.
Chapter 4. How the Samaritans made a tumult, and Pilate destroyed many of them. How Pilate was accused, and what things were done by Vitellius relating to the Jews and the Parthians. But the nation of the Samaritans did not escape without tumults. The man who excited them to it was one who thought lying a thing of little consequence, and who contrived everything so that the multitude might be pleased. So he bid them to get together upon Mount Gerizim, which was by them looked upon as the most holy of all mountains, and assured them that when they were come thither he would show them those sacred vessels which were laid under that place, because Moses put them there. So they came thither armed, and thought the discourse of the man probable, and as they abode at a certain village which was called Tirathaba, they got the rest together to them, and desired to go up the mountain in a great multitude together. But Pilate prevented their going up, by seizing upon the roads with a great band of horsemen and footmen, who fell upon those that were gotten together in the village. And when it came to an action, some of them they slew, and others of them they put to flight, and took a great many alive, the principal of which, and also the most potent of those that fled away, Pilate ordered to be slain. But when this tumult was appeased, the Samaritan senate sent an embassy to Vitellius, a man that had been consul, and who was now president of Syria, and accused Pilate of the murder of those that were killed, for that they did not go to Tirathaba in order to revolt from the Romans, but to escape the violence of Pilate. So Vitellius sent Marcellus, a friend of his, to take care of the affairs of Judea, and ordered Pilate to go to Rome, to answer before the emperor, to the accusations of the Jews. So Pilate, when he had tarried ten years in Judea, made haste to Rome, and this in obedience to the orders of Vitellius, which he durst not contradict. But before he could get to Rome, Tiberius was dead. But Vitellius came into Judea, and went up to Jerusalem. It was at the time of that festival which is called the Passover. Vitellius was there magnificently received, and released the inhabitants of Jerusalem from all the taxes upon the fruits that were bought and sold, and gave them leave to have the care of the high priest's vestments, with all their ornaments, and to have them under the custody of the priests in the temple, which power they used to have formerly, although at this time they were laid up in the tower of Antonia, the citadel so called, and that on the occasion following. There was one of the high priests, named Hyrcanus, and as there were many of that name, he was the first of them. This man built a tower near the temple, and when he had so done, he generally dwelt in it, and had these vestments with him, because it was lawful for him alone to put them on, and he had them there reposited when he went down into the city, and took his ordinary garments. The same things were continued to be done by his sons, and by their sons after them. But when Herod came to be king, he rebuilt this tower, which was very conveniently situated, in a magnificent manner. And because he was a friend to Antonius, he called it by the name of Antonia. And as he found these vestments lying there, he retained them in the same place, as believing that while he had them in his custody, the people would make no innovations against him. The like to what Herod did was done by his son Archelaus, who was made king after him, after whom the Romans, when they entered on the government, 
took possession of these vestments of the high priest, and had them reposited in a stone chamber, under the seal of the priests, and of the keepers of the temple, the captain of the guard lighting a lamp there every day. And seven days before a festival they were delivered to them by the captain of the guard, when the high priest having purified them, and made use of them, laid them up again in the same chamber where they had been laid up before, and this the very next day after the feast was over. This was the practice at the three yearly festivals, and on the fast day. But Vitellius put those garments into our own power, as in the days of our forefathers, and ordered the captain of the guard not to trouble himself to inquire where they were laid, or when they were to be used. And this he did as an act of kindness, to oblige the nation to him. Besides which, he also deprived Joseph, who was also called Caiaphas, of the high priesthood, and appointed Jonathan the son of Ananus, the former high priest, to succeed him. After which he took his journey back to Antioch. Moreover, Tiberius sent a letter to Vitellius, and commanded him to make a league of friendship with Artabanus, the king of Parthia. For while he was his enemy, he terrified him, because he had taken Armenia away from him, lest he should proceed further, and told him he should no otherwise trust him than upon his giving him hostages, and especially his son Artabanus. Upon Tiberius's writing thus to Vitellius, by the offer of great presents of money, he persuaded both the king of Iberia and the king of Albania to make no delay, but to fight against Artabanus. And although they would not do it themselves, yet did they give the Scythians a passage through their country, and opened the Caspian gates to them, and brought them upon Artabanus. So Armenia was taken again from the Parthians, and the country of Parthus was filled with war, and the principal of their men were slain, and all things were in disorder among them. The king's son also himself fell in these wars, together with many ten thousands of his army. Vitellius had also sent such sums of money to Artabanus's father's kinsmen and friends, that he had almost procured him to be slain by the means of those bribes which they had taken. And when Artabanus perceived that the plot laid against him was not to be avoided, because it was laid by the principal men, and those a great many in number, and that it would certainly take effect, when he had estimated the number of those that were truly faithful to him, as also of those who were already corrupted, but were deceitful in the kindness they professed to him, and were likely upon trial to go over to his enemies, he made his escape to the upper provinces, where he afterwards raised a great army out of the Dahe and Sacre, and fought with his enemies, and retained his principality. When Tiberius had heard of these things, he desired to have a league of friendship made between him and Artabanus, and when, upon this invitation, he received the proposal kindly, Artabanus and Vitellius went to Euphrates, and as a bridge was laid over the river, they each of them came with their guards about them, and met one another on the midst of the bridge. And when they had agreed upon the terms of peace, Herod the Tetrarch erected a rich tent on the midst of the passage, and made them a feast there. Artabanus also, not long afterward, sent his son Darius as an hostage with many presents, among which there was a man seven cubits tall, a Jew he was by birth, and his name was Eleazar, who for his tallness was called a giant. After which Vitellius went to Antioch, 
and Artabanus to Babylon. But Herod the Tetrarch, being desirous to give Caesar the first information that they had obtained hostages, sent posts with letters, wherein he had accurately described all the particulars, and had left nothing for the consular Vitellius to inform him of. But when Vitellius's letters were sent, and Caesar had let him know that he was acquainted with the affairs already, because Herod had given him an account of them before, Vitellius was very much troubled at it, and supposing that he had been thereby a greater sufferer than he really was, he kept up a secret anger upon this occasion, till he could be revenged on him, which he was after Caius had taken the government. About this time it was that Philip, Herod's brother, departed this life, in the twentieth year of the reign of Tiberius, after he had been tetrarch of Trachonitis and Galanitis, and of the nation of the Batanaeans also, thirty-seven years. He had showed himself a person of moderation and quietness in the conduct of his life and government. He constantly lived in that country which was subject to him. He used to make his progress with a few chosen friends. His tribunal also, on which he sat in judgment, followed him in his progress. And when any one met him who wanted his assistance, he made no delay, but had his tribunal set down immediately, wheresoever he happened to be, and sat down upon it, and heard his complaint. He there ordered the guilty that were convicted to be punished, and absolved those that had been accused unjustly. He died at Julius, and when he was carried to that monument which he had already erected for himself beforehand, he was buried with great pomp. His principality Tiberius took, for he left no sons behind him, and added it to the province of Syria, but gave order that the tributes which arose from it should be collected and laid up in his tetrarchy. End of Book 18, Chapters 3 and 4